If you will take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 6 and verses 15 through 23. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. This is a kind of a part two. I took one of my granddaughter's advice and said, Papa, your messages would be a lot shorter if you had two parts. <laughs> well, it didn't work last week, and it's doubtful it'll work this week, but I want you to know I got two parts. <laughs> so this is part two of the keys to living beyond your spiritual means. As I mentioned last week, very seldom do we hear in this kind of wording, we're always told, you know, uh, don't go beyond your financial means. Well, you must go beyond your spiritual means, because if you don't, you will falter, for sure. What does it mean to go beyond your spiritual means? It simply means that there is a God, obviously, who's going to what? He's going to enable me to go beyond that which I would be able to do in and of myself. So that's kind of the take on that phrase if you were concerned about it. But as a, as a disciple of Christ, you may have, as most of us do, somewhere along the line, stopped and said, you know, I wonder why. It seems like it would have been nicer. Now, God, if I were you, that when you save me, you just take me on to heaven. Now, that would cure a lot of problems for me. Okay. Uh, number one is I wouldn't struggle, as I do in my Christian life. You probably wouldn't struggle. Number two is I wouldn't have to worry about sinning. I wouldn't have to worry about embarrassing myself or embarrassing you guys as a pastor, as an elder. So, Lord, it seems like that would be a pretty fantastic idea. And you would just take us on to heaven and somebody else gets born again and you just swoop them on up to heaven. Well, there are some problems with that. Number one is it doesn't match scripture. So we probably ought to stop there and say, okay, we've got to take another look at this. Why does God leave you and I here as disciples of his? What does he desire for us to do? Well, you know, the common thing in cultural Christianity is, well, you get saved to avoid hell. And I'm not denying that's a wonderful truth. And it is true. But it doesn't seem to be the prominent thing that Christ has for us. Because when we are born again, he takes us just as we are. In all of our crudeness and messes and misunderstandings, God just gives us a new birth. It's kind of like starting over again. But I have to understand, even though I am a new creature in Christ, and that is true, I'm no longer the old man, Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at that in verse 6 just a second. I am no longer, please, we are not two people. You're not, an old, you're not a new nature and an old nature, a new man and an old man. You're not schizo. You are who you are. When God saves us, I'm still the same person, but inside there has been and a radical change. But as being a new man, as it's defined both in Colossians, Ephesians, and Romans chapter 6, I have to realize that I brought something along with me that's not resolved yet. 
And that becomes often the missing pieces to growing, maturing, coming to conformity to Christ. And Paul addresses that in verses 15 through 23. Let me read the text, if you would, please. Beginning at verse 15, Romans chapter 6. What then? Shall we sin? Shall we as believers commit a wrongdoing? He's talking about an act of sin. That's important if that's not clear in your text there. Shall we sin, commit an act of wrongdoing, because we are not under law? Simply because we are not under a law, does that give me the freedom to do as I please? Uh, Let me put it another way. My understanding is that foreign diplomats, when they come to the United States, maybe they're an ambassador or some other official, they have certain diplomatic privileges. I would like to be one of those. You know, you don't have to worry about red lights, unless there's somebody coming through, of course. But you can get parking tickets and you don't have to pay for them. There are some other things when you have diplomatic privileges. Now, you can't go too far. I mean, if you murder somebody, you, you know, you've got to be held responsible for that. But my point is this. If the governor of our state, who is, what did they finally come up with the title for him? Temporary? Not going to be here long? Whatever it may be, okay? <laughs> okay, temporary governor. If he would so choose to say, I'm going to, and I'd really love this, I'm going to take all speed limits away. Now, since we are no longer under the law of a speed limit, does that mean I can be reckless? No. So, if God has extracted us, separated us, no longer puts us under his under the law, no longer responsible because the law condemns us, the law brings death, he says, in Adam all die. If he pays the debt for my sin in Adam and makes a new creation out of me, would it stand to reason then that I can sin as I please? You'd say, that, that makes absolutely no sense. But that's the question. If we are no longer under a law, then am I free to do wrongdoing? You say, anybody ever ask that question? Yes. Oh, yeah, I heard. All I have to say in, in cultural Christianity in the community is say, they say, Pastor, do you believe in once in grace, always in grace? I'd say, well, I would say it a little different way, but in your terminology, yes. Once saved, always saved? Yes. Once God saves you, no matter what you do, you're going to heaven? Yes. If that were true, you would just go out and sin. You ever heard that one? I've heard that one all my life because I grew up in that type of understanding. There's a problem, though, with that understanding. You see, it leaves out the fact that In Adam, as we all are born in Adam, therefore I have the desires of my father. 
John 8.44 again, you've heard us say recently, John 8.44, you are the father of the devil, the lust of your father you will do. The lust, the desires. My whole desire, my whole bit in life, under my slavery to sin in Adam, my desires is to do wrong. Now, I will dress it up and smell it up and, and put some perfume on it so I look moral. And yes, some people commit greater crimes than you and I do. But my desire is not to live for Christ. My desire is not to be righteous. I have really no bent to do that. Why? Because I'm not a new man. Once I become a new man, I don't want to be like the old one. You'd say, well, how did that happen? Well, that happened because God made us a new creature. He put his life in us. We're in union with Christ. I don't want to do the things I used to do. Before I was saved at the age of 27, I used to think about this. You know, really I see the advantage of being a Christian, but I'd hate to be a Christian and really just be a bum, you know, because I know I like to do this, this, and this. Nobody ever sat down and said, well, you know, if you, if you gave your life to Christ, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be that. You would want to be that Christ wants you and desires you to be, and that is true. That's what Paul's going to tell us this morning. So, what we normally call that, it's a big long word, is sanctification. That means that God takes us the way we are and he's going to radically but slowly and through trials and discomfort and the good times and the difficult times, he's going to conform you and me to the very image of Christ that his life will be living in and through us. And the end result is that we live that kind of life eternally. Okay. Now let's see this from Scripture. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know, do you not know that you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience? You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, that doesn't sound good, does it, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves, now watch the verbs here, you were slaves, he's talking to Christian, you were this, you're not this anymore, you were slaves of sin. You, beca- you became obedient from the heart, from your innermost being. It is your nature now to that form of teaching to which you were committed. God takes us and commits us to a form, to a righteous standard. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin, having been freed from that union in Adam and with Satan, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, you know this, and you've heard it many times, you tell one lie, how many lies do you have to tell to get around that first lie? It just multiplies, right? It's like dirt. Okay? When I try to fudge with my wife, and I've learned... Man, it just gets worse. 
I just might as well fess up and say, no, sweeper's not broke. I just chose not to sweep. (laughs) For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present. You see, now you have the ability in Christ to do something different. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification, there's our word, to be set apart, to be set apart. Not to be set apart to what you and I want to be, but to be set apart to Christ. For you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin, you were liberated from doing anything righteous and acceptable to God. Verse 21, therefore what benefit were you then deriving from those things of your former life, which you are now ashamed of. What was the benefit of it? For the outcome of those things is death. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I've just never trusted Christ. I, I'm just trying to figure it out. Great. Great. But look at this verse. There's hope. You see, as an unsaved person... What do I have to look forward to? Death. You say, well, everybody dies. No, this is a different kind of death. This is a death beyond physical death. This is an eternal separation from God forever. And sometimes, as an unsaved person, you and I did, I had good moral desires simply because of God's common grace. When a person steps into eternity as an eternal death, there is no more common grace. There's no beautiful snow. There's no pizza. (laughs) Hey, hell is a terrible place. Hell is just a place of solitude. No buddies, no nothing. Just absolute dark solitude. And fully possessed with just your desires. That's at least part of hell. That's the reason why it's not a nice place. Because it would just be full of me. In verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive. You see, God is not afraid to say, you have been in slavery with Satan because of your union in Adam. And that's slavery, and we understand that. But he says, now, when you come to Christ, he sets you free from that slavery, but now there is a slavery of righteousness. We're not free to do what we want. We are not. That, that never happens. That's an impossibility. We're human beings. There is no freedom to say, well, you know, I don't want to be like Satan, but I'm not ready to be like Christ. That's impossible. That's a dream world. You can say it, but it's not true. Now, having been freed from sin, in verse 22, and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. What's the benefit? Resulting in sanctification. What's the result in being more, being made in the image of Christ, conforming to Christ? And the outcome is, instead of eternal death, just with yourself and all of your selfish desires forever and ever and ever and ever, plus it's hot, as you well know from Scripture, Verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's contrasting those things. So here's what I'd like to center our attention on this morning. 
The big point would be this. Being a slave of God. Now, this is really a big point because it's not as concise as I would like for it to be. But here it is. Being a slave of God is a journey of cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Do not go with the thinking, let go and let God. You let go and you don't have God. We are in union with Christ Jesus. We cooperate with his spirit. It's not this let go and let God. I understand surrenderedness. Surrenderedness, surrendered to cooperation with God. He is going to do it in cooperation with me. And it is he that's going to get it done. Yes. But I've got to present my members. That's what we've been studying in Romans chapter 6. I've got to present my members, my body, my arm, my eyes, my everything else. And I surrender to God and saying, you use me and I will cooperate. You tell me to go over here and you can use me and live in and through me and I will go over here and do your work with you in union, cooperation. It's not Jesus standing back here watching me go do it and clapping. We are in Christ Jesus. He resides in us and we reside in him. That's the John 15 passage. So, being a slave of God is a journey of cooperation with the Holy Spirit to conform to the image of Christ, which ends in eternal life. Now, the way the scripture is read here, we have to be careful because that doesn't mean you get eternal life at the end. When you and I are born again, we get eternal life. His point is here, through the sanctification process, he wants you to know as that process is being conformed to Jesus Christ, that is life eternally, and that never ends. That's how Paul was using eternal life here. In Romans 6, 6 is critical to the whole text. Knowing this, that our old self, the, the text, the original text would say the old man, it's anthropos, word for man, that our old man, our old self was crucified with him. That means death. The person that I was as a slave to Satan, I, that person, no longer exists. It's crucified. It's dead. You are no longer the person you used to be. And people notice that. You look the same. You work at the same place. You probably live in the same house. You still eat pizza. You still have Rolaids parties. But you are no longer that, oh, that's, it's been co-crucified with Christ. It's dead. It's gone. So critical to sanctification. So knowing this, that the old self was crucified with him in order, purpose, the purpose is that our body of sin, I'm no longer the person that I used to be. My, that identity is gone. But, Sin still is attached to me, that it might be done away with. What does that mean? It simply means that it no longer has authority over me. You see, as a slave to Satan, my body of sin, I had no authority over doing righteousness. I couldn't do that. Didn't want to do that. Now, since I, the old man, am crucified... Now I become a new man in Christ, and he lives within me, yet the scriptures are clear 
that I still have that Adamic, the life of Adam, followed me into my new relationship. But Paul says here, it no longer has authority. So what do, you get, what do we catch ourselves doing? Saying, no, no, I'm a new man in Christ. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to follow that desire. You see, it's a critical difference. It's essential to sanctification. As a slave to Satan, it was yes, 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 yes. As a new man in Christ, I have to realize that I am not glorified. And I still have a tendency, I will be tempted, and I will have a tendency to act like I used to be. But I'm no longer that person, and I don't want to act that way. And what God is telling me through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have the right in cooperation with Christ to say, no, I'm not going to lie. I didn't sweep because I didn't feel like sweeping. And you have a desire to do that. As you progress, and I progress in my conformity more and more to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. That, that just, that's, that's a lot. Of, I, don't, I don't want to do that anymore. That's shameful. And we constantly have those things falling off of us as we grow in Christ. There are three slides. They're really good slides, but we don't have the, the high-tech camera to really do what I wanted to do. But anyway... I'll try to explain it. It's nothing like giving you a slide and then explaining it. Okay, here's who we were before we were saved. I'm a slave to Satan. Scripturally, that's called the old man, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. I, it is said that I am in Adam. In Adam all die. So I have Adam's sin that's been transferred to me, and so I have his nature of rebellion to everything God wants in my life. And we call that, just commonly, that's a life of sin. There is nothing that I did as an unsaved person in which God says, you know, Don, I am really, really excited about you trying to clean up your life and be more moral. And, you know, if you just keep doing this, I think I'll save you someday. That's not going to happen. Because you can't earn your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. So can we do good things as an unsaved person? Yes, but they merit no righteousness with God. That's the point. Okay, second slide. Now, between the two images there, you have a born-again experience. Now I was a slave to Satan, now I'm a slave to Christ, and now Paul says I am a new what? Second Corinthians 5, 7, we are a new creature in who? Christ. And that new creature is called the new man. Ephesians brings it out. Colossians brings it out. Now, because the graphics, the color scheme here is supposed to be bright yellow, <laughs> where this little guy is standing, in Christ. We stand in Christ. We are in Christ. In Christ means we are in union with Christ. He is in me and I am in him. That's union. We're going to cooperate. I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. By myself. I want to do it with Christ. That's the point. We are in Christ. Now, if you could really see this as I'm seeing it here on another screen, there is a gray area which represents that, that old Adamic 
capacity has come over with me, and it still tempts me to do wrong. That's, but it's called the life of righteousness because it's predominantly righteous. And when we do sin, we confess it. That's First John 1, 9. The third one is at glorification. That's when God comes and takes us what goes away, that old Adamic life, that old life that represented Adam. That is gone forever. Still, the, I'm still a slave to Christ. I'm still a new man. But that part of tempt, I will never be tempted in heaven. You will never be tempted in heaven. That goes away at glorification when Christ comes for us and takes us to be with him. He will redeem not only the inward, but he will redeem our bodies as well. And we will be excited about that change, won't we? We will be excited about that change. Okay. Now, Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, I'm going to read rather quickly. Even so, consider yourselves then. What should I do with this information? What should I do with verse 6? Well, consider, count it right, count it true, that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That old sin from Adam, that that life of sin no longer has any authority. You don't have to obey it, so don't. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Watch your eyes, watch your feet, watch your hands, watch your tongue. But present yourselves to God as those of alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of rebellion and sin. Verse 14, for sin shall not have master over you. Now that's a promise of God. For you are not under law, but you are under grace. So this brings us to our text quickly. And it, so the question that pops up is, say, oh, if that's all true. If I'm a new man, the life of righteousness, well, then I could just go ahead and sin. Shall we sin because we are not under law? What is Paul's reply? Well, he said, no, may it never be. Shall we sin because we are not under a law, but under grace? May it never be. My goodness. You are a new creation. How could a new creation go back and be a slave to Satan? That's an impossibility. In verse 16, do you not know? Have you not come to a place of understanding when you present yourselves to someone as slaves? That's the person you're going to obey. To someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. Which is better? A life of sin, life of righteousness. Life of sin ends in eternal death. Life of righteousness ends... An eternal what? Life. Now, you and I as believers would say, that's a no-brainer. Why doesn't my unsaved neighbor get that? Because they are blinded, just like we were. I heard that, maybe not in those exact words. I'd say, well, that's, that's good, that's good. I still think I'd rather stay where I am. Because I was still a slave in a bunch. And to what? Folks, whether, whether our friends like this or not, until God takes away the blinders, you're going to remain there. This is a God thing. It's not man. It's not church. It's not pump it up. Give me more strength. I'm going to become a Christian. No, you're not. 
You and I became a Christian. Do I understand it fully? No, but God does. And it's very clear in Scripture that when He takes the veil away from the eyes, it's like the blind man as he uses an illustration, but it was a true life example. And the blind man said, Now I what? Oh, I see. I see. Well, how did it happen? I don't know, but now I know I what? I see. I don't know how God converted me, but now I see. I see I don't want to be like that any longer. And I am so thankful by God's grace and so are you that now I belong to him. In verse 17, but thanks be to God. Especially, I am so thankful for what? What are you thankful for, believer? Though you were slaves of sin... Though you were enslaved to that life of rebellion that you were always trying to put perfume on to smell good, inherited from Adam, you became obedient from the heart to that form, that standard of teaching to which you were committed. It's passive voice there. Somebody committed me to a body of truth. Guess who? It's not that I say, okay, now which body of truth, which standard of truth am I going to attach myself to? No. God himself, out of grace, committed you and me to a body of truth and changed us so inside to say, I like that. It is so refreshing for us as believers to go to a person and to say, you know, I have not done my best. I want to ask you to forgive me. Because I want to be better at this in our relationship. And I'm asking you. Here's a good thing. Here's to ask. Once you say, I ask you for, I confess I did wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. Is that biblical? Yes. And then to say, will you? Will you forgive me? I want to know. Because <laughs> once that's granted what? This is a happy day. Don't you get excited about when somebody says, yes, I forgive you. Oh, thanks. No. Man, it is party time. Let's go do something. Let's rejoice. Here it is. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18, And having been freed, God, it's passive voice again, God did it. Active voice would be, I did it. Passive voice is, God did it. God said, I, I freed you. Having been freed from sin, from that life of slavery with Satan, you became, again, I made you slaves of righteousness. You say, well, you know, I know we've been through this gate before, but why does this seem like God chooses some to do that and he doesn't choose others? I have a better question for you. 
Why would God choose any of us? And if you can answer that, you can have a license to answer the other one. (laughs) Okay. Because God did it, I tell you, God did it out of His grace. Because who of us would stand up and say, I deserve it? (laughs) No. Do I understand it fully? No. But I understand it enough to be thankful. And having been free, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, putting it right down on the foundation. You can get it. Okay. Do for just as you presented your members, the instruments of your body, as slaves, When you were an old man spiritually, as slaves to impurity, a state of moral impurities, and to lawlessness, a disregard for God's standard and man's standard, resulting in further lawlessness, just escalating. Sometimes in one of our ministries, I get to know a guy well enough, I'll just sit down and we'll have some private time before class and... I said to a guy named Billy the other day, I said, Billy, how did you ever get here? You know what Billy said to me with tears in his eyes? It started one evening by making one simple mistake. And here I am. You know, this book is true, folks. You start... You'd say, well, yeah, but I know I want to go so far. Yeah, uh-huh. No, you'll go as far as your master wants you to go. I tell you, Satan is a lot wiser, a lot stronger, and a lot meaner than you are. And God has been, Satan didn't tell us that. God did. God's omniscient. He knows all things. And he knows who, exactly who Satan is. And so we find here then, in, so now present your bodies as slaves to righteousness. Still in slavery, yes, but now you've got a new master. It's a good one. He loves you. He died for you. Change your life. Resulting in sanctification. Setting us apart to live like Christ. Why? Because we're in union with him. You and I don't have to turn around and say, Lord, where did you go? Lord, where are you? I'm right here. You can't get away from me 24-7. If you're going to commit adultery, that's sin. But I'll tell you something else. You did it right in full view of Almighty God. He's not outside the door. He's not outside the motel. He's not on a picnic. This is the reason why he says in 1 Corinthians, he says, you have taken the temple of God where I reside and you've used it to have sex outside of marriage. I hate to be so blunt. But it's not only did we do something wrong, we did it in the full face of God. <laughs> he doesn't close his eyes. Because he doesn't have any to close his spirit. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You couldn't do righteousness. Verse 21, therefore, what benefit, what fruit were you then? Think of it. Where are you going with this life? Deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Verse 22, 
don't know about you folks, but when God forgave me of 27 years of sin, He forgave it, I still remember it. Forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. And some of you young believers wrestle with that. You say, well, God, God said He'd forgive me. Why do I still remember? Because forgiving and forgetting are two different things. And not being able to forget is a good reminder to me, I don't want to go that way again. Even when I'm tempted as a new man, no, I'm not going that way. I spent too many years there, thinking I liked it, but I didn't. Verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive the fruit, the benefit resulting, leading to sanctification and what is the outcome, sanctification being conformed to Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, and what is the outcome, what's the result? You live forever with life abundantly. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more what? Abundantly forever and ever and ever and ever with Christ, with the family of God, in a wonderful place. Now, as I look back on that, I'd say, how in the world did I ever come to the place to decide, to say, I can't decide which I want? <laughs> but Paul helps me make sense of that, because when I was in bondage to Satan, a lot of things make sense that don't make sense. You can work on that one. Verse 22, but now having been freed from sin, and it results in sanctification, the outcome is eternal life. Now, here's the verse we know. Here's the verse when you're presenting the gospel to other people, I, I would say 99% of the people always have it in their gospel presentation. That's fine. Use it. Go for it. But understand the context, because that's the beauty of it. So he sums up in verse 23, for the wages of sin, the wages, the payoff, the payoff of being in slavery to sin is what? A continual, eternal death. No annihilation, no second chance, no purgatory. In Hebrews 9:27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the what? Judgment. But, contrast, but the free, the gracious gift of God. Don't deserve it. It's not only unconditional love, probably better said, it's unwarranted, unwarranted love. It's unwarranted. You have nothing to offer to get it. It's gracious. And the gracious gift of God is eternal life. It resides. It's in union. Christ is the eternal life person. I got it. I got it. I really got it. What did you get? I just made it happen. It clicked. Christ abides in me. Yeah, right? I abide in him. We're in union together. If he's in me, he is eternal life. I got eternal life. Good. Yeah. It's not deep. You just have to follow the what? The truth. Wow. And he says he will never leave me nor forsake me. Yeah. 
Wow, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, you're also being transformed so that you will have a greater capacity when you get to heaven to appreciate your Lord and Savior. Be busy about your sanctification in union with the Holy Spirit. Conform to all that He is, and you will see all that He has for us in beautiful, beautiful imagery. I close with Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. This is a pivotal text that we have to understand, obviously, because of what Paul has said in Romans 6. So then, my beloved Christian, just as you have always obeyed because you're Christian and so your nature is, it's not saying you never blow it, but when you do, you confess it. That's a righteous thing to do. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, you don't need the apostle standing here watching over you necessarily, but now much more in my absence. You took personal responsibility. Work out. doesn't say work for. Work out. Work out your salvation. Work out your deliverance. What is that deliverance? He has delivered me. He has freed me. He's liberated me from my life of sin now to a life of righteousness. And do it with fear and trembling. Not that you're going to lose it. This is a precious thing I have. I have Christ. I have eternal life. And I don't want to misuse it. There's something in me that now tells me I don't want to misuse it. I want to walk carefully and pleasingly to the Lord. That's just my desire. How did you get that? Did you go to church? No. I got it because I have Christ. And I go to church because I want to go. There's nothing more important to me than to be among you and to be encouraged. And hopefully I can encourage you. And you can look at me and say, you're not cutting it. And to say, well, thank you. What can I do different? What do we fear? What do we fear in our sanctification? Verse 13, for it is God who is at work, and he uses a preposition here, obviously, in you, in union with you. Just not in you, in union with you. He's working in union with you, bringing about, energizing your conformity. That's the reason you like it. Both to will... In your cooperation and union with Him, you desire it. He gives you the energy. He's caused you to will, to desire, and to work, to do. Yeah, I'm going to do it with Him. <laughs> Yesterday was a, a great day around here for some of us. People were getting married. People were eating all kinds of good food. And Ed and I had the privilege of working together. It was a delight. It was really great fellowship. It was work. But it was two of us doing it. You know what I enjoyed about it? I got a buddy. <laughs> That's what marriage ought to be. Huh? Doesn't always work out that way, does it? There's bumps in the road. There's tragedies at times. 
both to will and to work. What's my goal? Why, why did Ed and I buddy up to get the work done yesterday? Why did we do that? For his good what? Pleasure. I don't care if anybody sees us. We're having a blast. Now, not everything works this morning. <laughs> I knew some of you music guys and gals were going to tell me that. But we were careful, were we not, Carl? Carl was in part of that. Okay. Let me close with this. For his good pleasure. Guys, I don't have to pump that up. That should just be natural. You'd say, well, I know I'm truly born again, and that's not natural right now. I can understand that, but you need to confess your sin. There's one thing for sure. There is unconfessed sin, or it would be natural and lovable, and you would rejoice in it. So I'm just telling you, that's advice for me, that's advice for you. It's true. If I'm not enjoying the sanctification process, it's not God's problem, and it's not your spouse's problem, and it's not the church's problem. Just admit it. It's your problem. And we've all been there. And give it to the Lord. Get it out of your life. For his good pleasure. It is Christ's life residing and empowering the believer to let this life of Christ flow through your body for his glory and for his pleasure. <laughs> you know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be such a shock for me. Because I have this concept, you know, I'm going to get to heaven. The Lord says, why should I let you into heaven? Now, that's flagrism there. But, you know, why should I let you into heaven? Well, Lord, it's nothing I ever did. But, you know, you gave me your righteousness, and so that's all I have to offer is your righteousness in me. And he says, that's good to go. But I suspect I want to say, now, Don, let me just run down this list of all the things that I am so happy about you. Probably not. It'll be fine with me when he says, Don, I, I appreciate your surrenderedness. And I accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish through your life for my glory. I just want you to know I really appreciated it. Folks, I don't need a mansion. I don't need to walk on streets of gold. It'll be okay if I do, but I just want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful God. Now, that's not me. I'll tell you, that is not me. I want the trophies. And I'll take a wreath, too. I mean, you, you can just pile it on me. I want it. There's something inside that says, no, I don't want that. That, does, that doesn't, that's kind of a no. Lord, I want to please you. You glorify yourself through my life. Folks, that is real Christianity. That's what Christianity is. All other stuff is fake. And we know it. So, let me close this morning with just an application here that hopefully will be an encouragement to you. The big point again, being a slave of God is a journey of cooperation. Remember that. Not one or the other sitting down watching the other one do it. Being a slave of God is a journey of cooperation with the Holy Spirit to conform to the image of Christ, which ends in eternal life. That's, that's the end result. So what did the Roman people get? Well, they understood, I believe, clearly from the teachings of Paul's letter. Being God's slave is a journey. Yes, slavery. Yes, I love it. I love it. I'm glad I'm not on my own. 
with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of conformity to Christ. A timeless principle? Yeah, you can derive the timeless principle anywhere, any place in the world. You can say this to anybody. Salvation enables one to become God's slave and is a journey of cooperation with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of conformity to Christ, which ends in eternal life, not eternal death. Well, you and I as Christians, what am I going to do with this? Well, I thank, I'm thankful that escaping hell is great, but that's not why we were really brought to Christ for. It's a wonderful promise. But becoming God's slave for a journey of cooperating with him. Lord, right now I'm not in heaven, and I'm just excited, and I'm committed to this journey. And the rest of the day, I want to be on this journey of pleasing you. Lord, this, this is my desire, and I thank you for putting that desire in me. Don't ever forget that. God puts those desires in, in us, and if we honor him and don't retain unconfessed sin, his desires are our desires. It just works hand in hand. So let's bow our heads before the Lord and... Wow, folks, this is such a wonderful, wonderful truth. We need to pass it on. We we need to live it. You know that. We need to pass it on to our fellow Christian friends. We need to share this with our unsafe friends. You let God lift the blinders. You let God do the work. You let God change their hearts. You You just live it and give the message. It'll work in God's own timing. God will do what he plans to do. If you're here this morning without Christ, I'd, if I could manipulate you, I'd probably try, but I can't. I love you. Some of you guys and gals yet to come to Christ. I just want you to know I love you. I care for you. But this, this is all I can do. I can give you the message. God has to take the blinders off. Would you come to Christ today? Has he done that? Do you really desire to live this kind of life? If you do, then God's taken the blinders off. You just need to surrender. Father, thank you for the beauty of your text. Thank you for the beauty of who you are. Lord, we just love continually falling in love with you. And sometimes we're so embarrassed by the things we say. We're so embarrassed by our actions. And thank you for letting us be embarrassed because we don't want to stay there. And so, Father, we don't know anything else to do but worship you, which is giving thanks to you and telling you how much we love you, and we do. And I would pray, Father, for my unsaved friends. Lord, I would ask, take the blinders off, I would ask, if this would be honoring and pleasing to you. Yes. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you for these people. And I thank you, Lord, that you are still working on us. In Jesus' name, amen.